Paul teaches in Ephesians 4, verses 13 through 15, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Why should I desire to grow spiritually? Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with the Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, in the Kansas Communities Ministry, our heart's desire is to see people come to maturity in Christ. Not that any of us ever completely reaches that state, the sight of heaven. However, we believe that Scripture teaches that growth can and should occur. In fact, I would even say it's mandatory that we grow in Christ if we are to be used by Him in our world today, as well as if we are to know what true life is all about. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 2 Peter 3.18. Paul, in the passage quoted above, that is Ephesians four thirteen through 15 likewise urges believers to come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Spiritual growth, maturity in Christ, how this is so needed today in our world how this is so needed in my own life. People not only living like Jesus lived, but also looking at the world as Jesus did, seeing people in need of a Savior, seeing people as made in the very image of God, precious, greatly loved. In our ministry, we have three E's, evangelize, establish, equip. Evangelize, we work and want to see people place their faith alone in Jesus alone for eternal life. The second E is establish. After a person has come to know the Lord, we work and want to see individuals established in their faith and in their daily walk with Christ. We want to see people loving other people as Christ loved them and serving people as Christ served. The third E is equip. We long to see people equipped to reach out to others, able to lead them to Christ, then to establish them and to equip them as well for a life of service and encouraging spiritual growth. And so it goes on and on. Evangelize, establish, equip. Spiritual maturity. I have a friend who says that a baby Christian, if not nurtured, loved, and taught, and encouraged, is actually like an orphan, left alone, wandering about without aim or goal. That breaks our hearts. How sad when a baby is born, but he or she is not properly cared for. We all know folks who are believers, but who have not grown and are spiritual infants. Maturity in Christ is not only commanded, it is expected. Yet we see immaturity manifested in our own lives as well as the lives of other believers. What can be done about that? How can I get my passion in line with His? How can I get my passion to grow into Christ-likeness? I think there are at least three primary motivations for spiritual growth. These are, number one, spiritual growth is commanded. Number two, my eternal experience will reflect my faithfulness and growth in Christ-likeness here on earth. 
And three, I want to grow in Christlikeness because of my love for Jesus. So those three are, it's commanded. Number two, my eternal experience will be reflected by my faithfulness in Christlikeness here on earth. And number three, because of my love for Jesus. So let me explain those three things. First, it's commanded. These verses in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, remind us that there are, is the importance of growing into Christ-likeness. Number one, our goal is nothing short of being like Jesus. We are to grow in our Christ-likeness and in our oneness in faith and in our knowledge of Jesus. Ephesians 4.13 says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man or to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So number one is our goal is nothing short of being like Jesus. Number two, these verses teach us about spiritual maturity, is that one way to determine if we're growing spiritually is to ask how much we are influenced by the doctrines of the world and our culture. Ephesians 4:13, sorry, 4:14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So I need to ask myself, am I forming my opinions from what I read on the internet or what the culture says is true, or am I first going to scripture and getting God's perspective in my heart? Number three, our lives should be characterized by speaking the truth, that is, that which comports with reality, in love, the agape love of Christ. We shouldn't be speaking that which is not true, that which the world says is right. Our goal must be to look at life from God's perspective and speak the truth, but always in an attitude of love. Sometimes we get carried away and we see our favorite politician or political party or talk show host certainly speaking truth at times, but is it in love? Is it done in love? We are to speak the truth in love. And fourthly, these verses and divisions tell us that our goal is to grow up in all things into Jesus Christ, not just in some areas, but in all things. Partial obedience is not the goal. I was reading just today in my quiet time in First Samuel about King Saul. He had been told to utterly wipe out a city, including all the livestock and all the people, but he didn't. He left the king alive, and he left livestock alive. He only partially obeyed the Lord's commands. What was Saul's justification? He says to sacrifice them to the Lord. Samuel, the prophet, responds to Saul in the famous lines in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Quote. You know, I think it's easy to get down on ourselves or others when we clearly don't measure up. I clearly do not reflect Christ in all my behavior. I clearly am only partially influenced. I should say I am partially influenced by my culture and not by Scripture. I clearly am shy about speaking the truth at times when I should speak up. I clearly only partially obey at times. But I take comfort in the words of the psalmist, and I hope you will too. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 14. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. 
for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I just love that last verse. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. You know, my wife and I were driving on a high ridge in Colorado several years ago. It was beautiful, but I admit a bit scary. On the right side of the road was a beautiful, although very steep, drop-off into a lush green valley full of trees and grass. On the left side was also a steep drop-off into the city we were overlooking. There was a huge drop-off on both sides. I think life is like that in many ways, isn't it? Think of the journey of our lives of spiritual growth as being like that road, the road of spiritual progress. (laughs) There are certainly ups and downs in my life on that road. Some days I seem to be doing fairly well. I'm going up. I want to be like Christ. And some days I fail. I'm not doing well. I go downhill. But I want to emphasize, not that necessarily, but I want to emphasize the two sides of this road, just like the road that we were on in Colorado. There are two sides. The one side I would label as the valley of complacency. The other side I would label as the valley of hopelessness. So on the one side of our journey of growth as a believer, we may fall off into the valley of complacency because we think all is well. I tell myself, well, I'm saved. I know I'll go to heaven when I die. What difference does it make if I grow in Christlikeness here? I might as well enjoy life a bit. Oh, I'll go to church on Sunday, maybe serve on a board or committee, but I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to overdo it. God will change me in his timing. I just need to sit back and enjoy life and let go and let God. So that's the one side, the one valley, the valley of complacency, because all is well. The other side we can fall off is the valley of hopelessness, because I am weak. Essentially giving up on trying to grow because we see our fallen selves too plainly. I tell myself, well, I'll never be a Billy Graham or a Mother Teresa. Why even try? No matter what I do, I'm going to fail. Now, I think there are little bits of truth in both of these sides, aren't there? If we have placed our faith in Jesus alone for eternal life, then indeed we are assured of our eternal destiny. We don't have to earn it. On the other side of the road, yes, we do get discouraged because indeed we are failures on our own. On both sides, we give up trying to grow because we become either complacent and smug or hopeless and despairing. But according to Scripture, we are to remain on the road of spiritual growth. We are not to fall off onto either side of those extremes. We are not to earn our salvation. We don't grow in Christlikeness because we're trying to earn salvation. And we don't continue on the road of spiritual growth because we want to prove somehow that we are saved. But we stay on that road of spiritual growth because Christ commands it. Because that is the only way I can really experience true life. Life that was meant to be lived to the fullest. To the fullest. That is the only way to increasingly reflect God's image in us. To become all we are meant to be and to be used by God in all the ways he wants us to impact our world. So, what I've said so far covers the first motivation, at least, that I see in Scripture for spiritual growth, is that Christ commands it. He commands us to grow spiritually in Ephesians chapter 4 and in many other locations. My second motivation is that I want my eternal experience to be the best it can be. Let me explain. Heaven will not be the same experience for everyone. Our lives on the new heavens and the new earth will be different for each person. Now, if we have placed our faith alone in Jesus for eternal life, then we are assured of being with the Lord forever. But that experience 
in the new life, in the new heavens and new earth, I am convinced, will not be the same for each person. Why do I say that? Well, in some ways, that is a topic for a different podcast. But the short answer is that the Bible teaches that believers will receive different rewards for our faithfulness or lack thereof here on earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, Paul teaches, quote, According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12 says, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work, of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. End quote. Now, the day that he is talking about, I believe, is the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat. That's what Paul was referring to. There will be a time of judgment for believers, not to decide if we're going to heaven or not, because that was decided the moment we believe in Jesus. But there will be a time of judgment to see how we have been faithful to the Lord with what he has given us here on earth. Our faithfulness in growing into Christ-likeness here on earth will be rewarded for all eternity. Now, I may not primarily want to grow to be like Christ for that reward that I will receive, but nevertheless, it does play a role in my thinking because Christ promises it in his word. After all, what does Matthew say? Matthew six nineteen through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. End quote. So Jesus commands us to lay up treasures in heaven, and I think those treasures in heaven are partly reflected by our faithfulness in growing in Christlikeness here on earth. You know, I didn't come up with the idea of rewards. <laughs> Jesus taught it, and it's seen throughout Scripture. My second motivation for increasing in Christlikeness is that it greatly impacts my eternal experience with the Lord. The first one was that it is commanded by Christ. Number two, my second motivation for increasing in Christ-likeness is that it greatly impacts my eternal experience with the Lord. Thirdly and finally, I am motivated to grow in Christ-likeness because of my love for Jesus, who died that I might truly live. John fourteen twenty one says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. End quote. If I truly love the Lord Jesus, I will keep his commandments. I will be obedient. I will grow in Christ-likeness. You know, Christ paid the ultimate price by coming to earth. He was a perfect man, perfect God. He taught us, he loved us, but he sacrificed his life on the cross. He was a perfect man and fully God, yet chose to die for you and for me. By so doing, he paid the price for my sins, all of them, past, present, and future. You know, there's an old song that we used to sing to our kids as we were bringing them up. Two lines from the song are, I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Again, I had a debt I could not pay. That is my sinfulness, my bent towards sinning, my underlying uh, sinful life. And in fact, I was 
dead because of Adam's sin, which was passed down to me. And then the second line, he paid a debt he did not owe. He didn't have to come to earth to die on the cross, but he did. He paid that debt that he didn't owe. You know, I love Romans 5, 8, which says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John fourteen twenty one again, as a reminder, says, he who, commandments, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and show myself to him. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. As I keep his commandments, as I grow in Christ's likeness, as I demonstrate my love for the Savior of my soul, the one who died that I might live, truly live both now and in eternity, I will keep his commandments and demonstrate my love for him. So those are some of my greatest motivations for living a Christ-like life, to become, to grow in Christ-likeness. Number one, it's commanded in Scripture, Ephesians 4. Number two, my eternal experience will reflect my faithfulness and growth in Christ-likeness here on earth. Not everyone's experience in heaven or in the new heavens and new earth will be the same. And number three, I want to grow in Christ-likeness because of my love for Jesus. So what are your passions? What motivates you to grow into Christ-likeness? It's a good question to ask and to ponder and to ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Well, join us next time as we hear from the Ministry Director for Student Mobilization at the University of Kansas, Drew Peters. He'll be talking about the importance of leaving a lasting legacy right here on Making Disciples Naturally. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the Navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.